0: Useful Idiots, Calling All Useful Idiots. Uh, this is the show we do every Monday at 11 a.m., so make sure you sign up for it. Also, make sure you join us at 10 a.m. Uh, on YouTube.com slash Useful Idiots. And we are here. We are going to be taking your questions. Let's just wait, a, you know, 30 seconds or something to let people come in. Also, let's tweet it out. I'm going to tweet out right now. I'm talking about Media Fails on Useful Idiots with Aaron J. Mate. Right, that's, all right, All right, Aaron, what's your middle name, if I may ask? You don't have to tell us. Joseph. Joseph, nice. My middle name is Rose, by the way. Oh, yeah, okay. Kind of can't be B. It's a pretty good middle name, if I do say yeah. so myself. Yeah. Um, all right, so should we take our first uh, caller? Let's, Let's do, do it. that. Will. Will you or won't you? Channeling the dad jokes. Okay, Will, I guess he won't because uh, he just went off the thing. All right. Gregory. Gregory. Gregory, Gregory, please unmute yourself. Okay, great. Hello. Gregory, you are unmuted, but you are not making any noise.
1: That's odd. All right. Now
0: you are. Now you are. Now we hear you. We heard you say that's odd. Stay with us, Gregory. Don't go to the light.
2: I can't tell if this is working.
0: Yes, it's working now.
2: All right, finally. Uh, Just a quick question. It's kind of light, fun questions I want to ask you guys. Um, If there were
3: two people hanging off a cliff, who would you save? So this is going to be pretty fast, okay? Yes. Okay, we
2: have Adam Schiff and then Joe Manchin. Who do you save?
0: Oh, that's a a tough one. I don't know, can we answer this without getting arrested, Erin? Is this considered yeah.
4: a crime, <laughs> Gregory? Sorry, we're not going to answer uh, death hypotheticals.
1: But thanks for the call. Uh, hey, all right, <laughs> catch you guys next time. Bye.
0: Yeah. Questions?
4: Nobody benefits. I, I don't see. I don't see any societal benefit from answering a question like that. I just don't. Well, I'm it. just
0: afraid know. that I'm open to it. It's illegal or something because yeah. they're in office.
4: I would rather. I would rather kill this person.
0: Yeah. Yeah yeah. all right, let's go with
1: Andrew right. Hello Hi, Andrew. Hi, Katie. On Hi. Your mind.
0: My mind is
1: on the fact that there are very large clown shoes to fill at CNN right now. And I wonder, do you think that there's any chance I'd like to hear your thoughts on <clears throat> is he gonna go the route of Fredo Cuomo to News Nation? Have you seen that Chris Cuomo's going to News Nation? Yeah, have you even seen this channel? Have you ever watched it?
0: No, no, I don't think so. I may have seen. You should. A... Okay, is it good? What's it like?
1: It's, it's like what CNN wants to think it is, but it's still very establishment. They 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 make it a point. They beat you over the head that they're nonpartisan. I mean, it's like all over their advertising, and they're acquiring these people from like, like failed uh, hosts from other networks, like Chris Cuomo. I mean, so I think. What do you think? It might be uh, possible, right, that he lands, Stelter lands at uh, News Nation, and you should watch it just for the experience. Well, listen, I've been on News Nation multiple times. Um,
4: I've been invited on to debate their host. Interesting. And and, uh, I was actually on this Friday talking about uh, talking about the raid on the African People's Socialist Party. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So well, that's great. Yeah. I mean, they let me talk.
0: Dan Abrams is that one you debated?
4: Uh, th- not recent. Yeah, I have been on Danny Abram's show this week. It's a guy named Leland. He has a show called On Balance. I'll hmm. drop a link to it in, in the chat, which you can watch after this call. not, of course, during it. But yeah, um, yeah. Uh, so uh, look, um, um, what can I say? They'll have me
1: on, so that's already a, <laughs> a plus in my book. All right. Yeah. <clears throat> I had no idea. That's very interesting. Uh, yeah, it kind of makes me. Re- I didn't watch enough of it to catch you. Apparently, you know, I, I'm assuming you're not on there every week. So, I'm not on every week. No. Yeah. No. No. Well, we hopefully that changes. Yeah.
0: Yeah. You want if you want Gregory to tune in every week, News Nation. You know what to do.
4: <laughs> yeah, I mean, but look, you know, obviously they're they've obviously calculated that there's a opening because of the hemorrhaging trust in the other networks and. Right. Uh, the problem, though, is that it's still, you know, the like the propaganda system here is so powerful that it just makes it very difficult for anyone to really do anything fundamentally different. Is because it's just that's how it works so well that you know that if you really deviate from the party line, you're gonna you're gonna be canceled and harassed and get flack and all all the ways in which the propaganda model enforces itself.
1: I'm surprised I even let you on, considering how. The establishment, you know, considers you literally like Putin's henchmen. I mean, you'd think that alone would be enough for them. For most people, they're uh, cowards in that way. And to even talk about the raid. (laughs) I mean, that's pretty interesting. So, yeah, I'm going to have to check it out more. All right. Thanks for your time. Thank Thank you. you. And I'll drop the link here. I have the link here for
4: my segment. One last
1: thing. I did send you the link to the Kiev Independent article, Aaron, on the message. Oh, thank you. Thanks for that. Thank you. All
0: right. Bye. Bye. Uh, do not go to that link now. <laughs> we need people here. Aaron, next yeah, time I'm going to have to drop it later.
4: Yeah. Okay. Sorry about that. Right. That's right. I'll try All to right. delete it. Oh,
0: no, yeah. I can't. No, it's okay. It's okay. Yeah. Well, we trust you guys. And everyone tweet this out. We want. We need people here instead of watching other shows. All right. Mm-hmm. Loki or Loki. Oh, that's right. You said me now,
5: yeah. Okay, here's. All uh, right. Anyways, uh, so I'll, I'll kind of frame it like this: we have like uh, a lot of shows with uh, with kind of similar formulas, right? And kind of the news roundup, the news review, is is one of them. And you guys do a pretty good job of making it like media, like like media literacy. Slap, you know, reading in between the lines of what of what the mainstream media says with a little bit of, you know, I guess I guess humor sometimes. And then because um, it is kind of sometimes. depressing. Sometimes. To yeah.
0: sometimes.
5: Oh, sorry. All the time. Freaking, All the I'm freaking I'm dying. With, I'm just dying over here. Ah. So, but um, Did so called
0: out by your own kid.
5: I know. Right.
0: For, for playing so, our humor. Yeah.
5: I guess so. so. But anyways, um, what's like, where do you draw the line between like you want to, of course, you want people to to be able to be literate and the lies that mainstream media tell, you know, directly and indirectly. But also, why not? Why not spend more energy in building independent media instead of sh- constantly shining the spotlight back on a mainstream that doesn't, you know, doesn't do its job anymore?
0: We get asked this question a lot, and the truth is uh, it's uh, important, I think. It's not, that, that stuff isn't going anywhere. We, don't have, we would love to have a big enough audience for uh, it to, to make a difference uh, for our audience not to be exposed to that. But it's also they're not going to click when we, when we, have, when we expo- go over them. Uh, It's also just fun to do, but I don't think it's politically problematic to do it. Like, this is what Americans are exposed to more than other sources, despite the growth of independent media. We need to be able to uh, deconstruct that. And what we do is every week, we have another show where we interview people and go over other things. So it's not like this is the only thing we do.
5: Oh, yeah, for sure. I'm not saying that this is the only... Uh, type of show or or it or things you guys do but it's just um yeah my, i guess more towards the question of of where do people put their energy to more efficiently bring about you know what should be you know goals for for people as a movement or as people that think in a humanitarian way or however people label themselves there has to be uh there has to be a A tangible goal in mind, so you know what I mean. Right. Well, if if we were, if we were, if we were, if we were claiming that this
4: is the this is the path forward for the for the movement is to watch cable news clips and laugh at it, then I think that would be a problem. But we're not saying that. We're just making fun of cable news clips and having a good time, and I think that's okay. For
5: for sure, definitely. But
0: what do you? I'm curious. What do you think the tangible project should be?
5: Uh, the the truth is there's there's many of them, and the only like one of the like one of the answers people don't like, but it's most often truthful is that like you you got to freaking ask people what they need. You know, we can, we can speculate within a certain amount of accuracy what's the general thing that would help the most people, but you have to you have to go in and ask people what the fuck they need, what they, excuse me what they need to to survive. Or to learn a new skill, get you know, get work. Like there's just very simple, practical things people need right now. You think it's people not, would watch our show? What's that? One more time.
0: Uh, that yeah, I mean that's not the show. This show isn't like an uh, an organizing mutual aid show. So that's we. I mean, we'll elevate people who do that, but that's not what well, this is.
5: <laughs> I guess as far as media, I would say well then if we're not going to go that direction as far as what media can do it it's you know it's stuff that you guys have done too you know give give voices to to people that are doing that kind of stuff and you know get give voices from from all the people on the ground that are you know basically doing doing the right thing or at least doing the practical smart thing and and making progress and have something that's kind of that people can replicate and maybe even join, you know, give Did voices to our, our people. That making ground.
0: Did you watch our show last week?
5: Uh, uh, which, which, which one was it? Were you interviewing someone, or was it an yes, interview? Yeah, yep. you,
0: you are, We interview people every single week. So if we are asking you about a show, it's going to be an interview. Yeah, it was with Omali Yeshatela.
5: Okay. I don't think I caught that
0: one yet. With the African People's Socialist Party, uh, they do a lot of stuff uh, that you'd probably be interested in. So you definitely want to check that out. Oh,
4: thanks, it. Loki, for the call. Okay. Yeah, thank you. D. Thanks for answering. Yep. Sure,
0: bye. Okay, D.
6: Hey, I. Hey, I. Can you guys hear me? Yeah. 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 I just wanted to say that um, I'm kind of, believe it or not. I'm in some ways like I'm I'm the CNN thing. I've never been a CNN fan, Um, but I am wondering how this um, affects the approach of independent media, because one of the criticisms um, of independent media, particularly left independent media is that there's such a focus on sort of the shortcomings of which there are many of the democratic party. And, Kind of the defense that independent media kind of uses. Well, we don't really cover as much the reactionaries in the Republican Party in the Republican Party because that's stuff that CNN and New York Times focus on all day. So, how much do you think this kind of changes that dynamic? Because um, if, if I do think if the left media, left independent media is to be uh, is to be successful, there needs to be a certain degree of we're critiquing the democratic party at length but at the end of the day we are also critiquing the very reactionary nature of uh republicans i mean as aaron saw in that inter- interview with the uh doug mcgregor guy um, a lot of these republicans their foreign policy makes joe biden look like a dove like a lot of their foreign policy is like very deranged so i i just wondered as two independent media creators what are your thoughts on that
4: Can't uh, ignore when you are criticizing Democrats uh, how far right the Republicans are, and reactionary they are on on so many key issues. Um, but I also, if you want to build an alternative to the right, you need a stronger left, and the only way to do that is to, you know, hold liberals accountable, especially when they're engaging in policies that are either indistinguishable from the right, or sometimes even worse, like on the Ukraine proxy war at least on Ukraine proxy where there are people on the Republican side voting against it, whereas there's zero Democrats voting against it. Um, and so I think you have to do both. I mean, I, because I identify with the left, and I always have, I feel um, more interested personally in uh, pointing out when other people who can call themselves left and liberals are enabling the right and uh, marching in lockstep with the right and exacerbating the threat of the right as I thought was the case throughout Gate, where I thought Russiagate was a giant gift to Trump and his neocon cabinet for, you know, the reasons I, I tirelessly yeah. explained.
6: Yeah. Yeah, I, yeah, and I think it's hard because there are people, and I, I don't want to, like, stir up a hornet's nest. There are people who it's been really frustrating that it's hard to really indistinguish because there are people who – um, who I really like that the movement I know is critical of, and then there are people from day one who have been like, "This person's full shit. We should have known they're full shit." And um, and then I see, but I see still see people defending them. You know, like like I was, I've never been, a, I've always been more of a birdie fan than a lot of people. Um, I think who are left are, and I've always been not a. I've always disliked Tulsi Gabbard, and and I think. You know, it's always hard to kind of distinguish between like if someone's crit- critiques are coming from a good faith place of they want the left to be stronger or if it's just a um, sort of branding exercise, which I think is the case with like people like Tulsi Gabbard. Who... Ex- All right. Well, what? let me what? let me, wait, uh, let, me let me say something in defense of Tulsi. Let me say something
4: in defense of Tulsi, because wait, 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 look, she, wanted... she she. Uh, uh, hold, hold, on, Katie. Uh, Katie, hold on, Katie. I
0: just uh, didn't she... hear what you said. A what exercise?
4: I think a it's branding a branding exercise. I,
6: I think for okay. some people it's an honest critique. And then some people it's like, I'm going to be the person who critiques the left that's on no. the left. And then they end up like someone like
4: Tulsi But, but, I wanted to but know what yeah, but,
6: but look, oh, okay, sorry.
4: sorry. But D, look, Tulsi resigned in 2016 and supported Bernie and took a lot of heat for that. And I think she deserves credit for that. So I don't understand why, you know, personally I don't pit them against against the other I thought what Tulsi did back then was courageous. I also think Tulsi's taken braver stances than Bernie on certain issues, at least ones that I really care about. Like, for example, the Syria Dirty War. She introduced a measure to um, stop funding the Syria Dirty War. Uh, it was called the Stop, funding, or the stop yeah. Arming Terrorists Act. That was very brave. She was, willing to po- she was willing to point out that the U.S. was supporting in Syria an Al-Qaeda-dominated insurgency. And to me, she deserves to be applauded for that. And she also introduced measures to try to um, monitor the impact of U.S. sanctions, something Bernie never did. Now, overall, too, I mean, I favored Bernie over anybody else as well. But I just I don't try to I, I don't see a point in, you know, pitting them against the against the other. And certainly now she's taken stances. I don't agree with that since she's left office. But yeah. um, I also I that to me that that, but that to me doesn't negate
6: where she I think she played a very positive yeah. role. Well, I'm just saying, and and I know you have other calls, but I'm just saying, I just think it's, I think it's hard because like even the FBI thing, you can critique the FBI, but it's, it's going to be a hard sell when like in her case, you haven't really been that critical of law enforcement when they're acting against, like my issue with the right is the right only cares about the FBI now that they're going after an elite. They've never cared about the FBI being problematic when they're going after you know,
7: unarmed Absolutely.
6: citizens like Muslims, yep. African-Americans. And I think it's a mistake for the left to now say, oh, well, we need to join these people in abolishing the FBI like that. No, <laughs> they don't get credit for defending the FBI, if it, you know, now that or being against the FBI now that he went against their guy. And they would not be having the state. This They would not be having their stances on the FBI if the FBI was going after Hunter Biden right now. So I, I just think things well, like I, that are yeah. important.
4: I like I liked what Breonna Joy Gray said about this. She said, you know, assuming the right is acting in bad faith, which is a fair assumption, it's still an opportunity because they're at least talking about the FBI and the need to abolish it or reform it. So why not at least try to take the opportunity created by this moment? I don't see a problem with that. But yeah, that doesn't mean I think they're they're operating in good faith. And as we've pointed out, nobody on either side said anything when the FBI raided a radical black political organization with drones and and uh, flash grenades right
0: for, and also i thanks for taking my a call lot of, yeah i just want to say that um thanks for calling d i think that the left i get it because i think that there's we want to have like a leader a coherent with a coherent ideology that we can like kind of look to I mean, I know that we're supposed to not f- focus on individuals and leaders and we're supposed to focus on movements, but we're not going to reinvent the wheel. And the truth is, it's nice to have someone we can look to. And I think that Bernie was that for a lot of people. And now Bernie isn't that for a lot of people. I still think he has a lot to offer. But I think that that makes then sometimes the left kind of put a lot of energy into obsessing over who is like the right who who gets credit for certain things. And no one's crediting. um MTG, for being a, some kind of anti-law uh, enforcement person. The question is, are there things that the left and right, not the politicians, but left and right people, can, be, uh, can come together around? And it can also be an opportunity for reaching these people, which is what I think someone like Brie tries to do, which she's like, okay, good. I'm glad you think the FBI should be abolished, but here's all the other stuff that they did. And make sure that you care about it when it's people besides powerful people like Trump. But there is this weird, I think, obsession with like a, a focus on like the purity of a person, and we can applaud. It, I don't really care what people think of Tulsi Gabbard. I disagree with her on a lot of the things. She's not. I don't find her a a leader the way I think that Bernie is or was, uh, depending on your view. But I still think it's what she said about sanctions. Like, who else has said that? And again, that's an indictment of the rest of the media. The fact that that comes from Tucker Carlson show. All right.
5: We
4: have such a long caller queue today. And by the way, Katie, I, I agree with everything you just said, but we have yeah. such a long this is we're gonna have to we're gonna have to be a little more snappier today. Yeah. All right. To get to everybody. Okay, so Jonathan. Hello.
6: Hi
8: Hello. there. Okay, I'll go as fast as I can. Someone tell a story about the time I was a substitute teacher, and they handed out a little worksheet for the kids, and it said the beginnings of modern terrorism. And the first line item, Jonathan, I can't hear what you're saying.
0: We have to be louder. Yeah.
8: The first line item on the sheet that I was handed to the students was a 1979 terrorist attack by Palestinians, and the title of the thing was the beginnings of modern terrorism. So the implication there is that Palestinians invented modern terrorism, and so I went on to t- talk a lot about what, uh, say, Oliver Stone would say in his Untold History of the U.S. And I was basically called in and said, oh, you have to stick to the curriculum. You can't go teaching the kids things that happened in history that weren't on the syllabus that was left for you. And that is relates to the – who was the guy? Oh, the older guy Stelter was talking to? Carl Bernstein. Yeah, but if it's all fun to point out his hypocrisy. But what he said in a vacuum, I totally agree with. There's no such thing to me – as a un, as a median narrative because your version of where the middle is is itself political mm. and that basically you know cost me a job substitute teaching to basically say that i can't stay in the middle because you're telling them where the middle is and you're wrong right like it's just ahistorical to tell people that palestinians invented modern terrorism in 1979 that is not true
0: jesus christ everything right
8: teach. so stop me if you heard this one before even from me Uh, Jean-Baudrillard goes to Disneyland. He leaves Disneyland. He's in Los Angeles. He's looking around. Especially a place like Hollywood, you'll see an actor go to a restaurant not because they like the food there, but because they want to be seen there. So they're still acting every bit as much as the actors inside Disneyland are acting. So this line between the two, when you leave one place and go to the other, serves to obfuscate and confuse the fact that there is no line. You're You're still in Disneyland. Of course, he's a foreigner, so he sees America as very Disneyland-ish. He makes the same point about prisons. You drive by them. There's a big gate. as a fence. And that serves to obfuscate and confuse the fact that the state is carceral with our Stalinist levels of incarceration, with the labor power and consumer power being harvested. And your YouTube ad ends and the content begins, and that confuses how the content is propaganda. He would have loved the Super Bowl for this reason. Billions of dollars in commercials. And then when it ends, you don't get that you're still watching a commercial. Professional sports is a it sells beer and army recruitment and more importantly, perhaps an identity that's not your class identity. I'm a Packers fan, I'm a right. Hawkeye fan. I'm, a, I'm showing myself to be a Midwesterner <laughs> right now. But the point is that's the news media's story about Trump. And this I may have said here before. You said it, Aaron. You're like the story is now going to be about which staffer moved which box full of which papers from which office to which house in, in breach of the law as if that's a story, as if it's a story that any ex-president might have some lingering access to some sensitive information, as if that hasn't been true of every single one of them. Like, the whole thing is, an, is, a, is a distraction in, in the propaganda in the same way that all of those things that Bouldriard talked about are distractions and propaganda. It's meant to tell you where the middle is. It's not that whether he's guilty or not. He probably is guilty, but that's not the point. Yeah. The point is... Think about this, and not about right. where money comes from and where that's it goes. right.
0: J- Jonathan, can I ask before you leave what what state what, or what city was were you substitute teaching in, and was it a public school or a private school?
8: It was a it was public school in Iowa.
0: Okay, thanks. Interesting. Yep. All right, thanks, Jonathan.
9: Curl. Hey guys, how are you doing this morning? Good. You. I'm so sad that Stelter's gone. He really was uh, kind of a touch point for every week. I got to see you guys close the show out every day with it. I was just kind of curious um, <clears throat> if you guys have been kind of watching the center left kind of go crazy, like the Sam Harris thing. Uh, for me, Duchovny with uh, Taibi on real time. There's been a lot of kind of, wow, these people are so out of touch, and I just kind of don't even know—is this just products of endless CNN watching, or what are your thoughts on those things?
0: Can you? I don't know what happened with Duchovny and Taibi. What do you? And oh, Harris.
9: just um. Well, it's kind of the—I—I I was shocked at some of the things he was saying. That was so like, kind of mean-spirited, and it, it really does seem like. If there was a uh, kind of a narrative that everybody's pushing, I guess at Fox and at uh, CNN, it's civil war is coming and we hate the other guy. I mean, it's not like that's anything new, but to see somebody who actually has something to lose come out and say things that are like, wow, man, that's kind of scary. (laughs) If that's what's trickling down to people that don't pay too much attention, it's like who are we really trying to push violence, like physical violence between people in the streets? That seems kind of like what the narrative is.
0: And who was saying that and who has something to lose?
9: Uh, Duchovny. Hmm. Yeah, that is kind of a liberal narrative. Uh,
4: before the election, there was some, you know, I remember some op-eds. There was one prominent neocon. I think it was one of the Kagan's wrote some article in the Washington Post about how a civil war is coming. And there's, it sort of fuels their fantasy of, um, you know, sort of like neocons now liberal, like liberal neocons being at the forefront of this like protect democracy alliance where they're the last people standing in between uh, the U S and tyranny. And so, yeah, uh, they like to act this out. It makes them, I think, feel better about being in their neoliberal neocon bubble to pretend as if we're on the brink of a civil war. And that's why we have to get behind the FBI and the CIA and and Liz, other, Ch- and Liz Cheney as the answer to our problems and not actually trying to, you know, deal with our dysfunction, deal with our dysfunctions in a, in a serious way. And, um, the Sam Harris clip, I saw everybody making fun of him. I didn't watch it because I've never been interested in, in Sam Harris. I just don't, you know, I, it, yeah. So I, I didn't. I, I don't even know what all that was about. But I saw people. I saw that he was the subject of a lot of ridicule.
0: Yeah. What did he say? Can you summarize it?
9: Essentially, he uh, he was saying Trump is so bad that uh, we oh sem- we can for I'm sorry
0: censorship something about censorship
9: yeah that basically it was totally okay for the Hunter Biden thing. I don't care if Hunter Biden think that the, the quote was something like i don't care if he had dead children in his basement there's nothing he could have done that would have been worse than trump which seems like an insane thing to say to me uh yeah but and a lot of other people too but um i'm not a huge uh harris fan but just whew, there's been little pieces here and there from people that i at some point kind of respected their at least ability to talk about things uh Kind of had a similar experience with uh, Chomsky and the unvaccinated. It's a personal thing. I'm just like, okay, I'm vaccinated, but should, they should not get food seems like an insane thing to say.
4: Well listen, I mean look, I thought Chomsky on that one was totally wrong, but he didn't say they shouldn't get food. He said they should be isolated from society. And uh he said, My bad. Um, yeah,
9: you're right. You're right. He, he did say Phoenix. isolated from society and they made their choice. I I, I remember the the clip and it was I actually watch the whole thing and and I get it he's older, he's scared. I understand I try to have empathy for everybody, but still yeah. that that's it's hard to have empathy for people who have no empathy. You see what i'm saying
4: i uh, listen, I thought what he said was uh, um it was the first time well you know, you know look it wasn't the first time I've disagreed with him before, which is hard for me because emotionally he means so much to me in terms of like from a very young age, he I'm was right
9: there with you yeah. hero.
4: And, and he has been, you know, into adulthood and to today. So hearing him say something like that was, was hard for me to process because I thought he was so wrong, but I also want to be fair. I mean, people, like I say he was calling for putting people in camps and all that stuff. And that's not true. He was just saying they should be isolated from society, which is, you know, it's, it, I thought what he said was totally wrong, but it's not the caricature of, um, uh, you know, that it was made out to be. But, um, and I also have empathy for him because he's over the age of 90 and uh, the elderly, you know, disproportionately are impacted by COVID and thus are understandably more scared of it. So I I urge empathy in that case, okay. even though he was totally wrong.
0: Also, what an interesting thing is that the, I do think that the civil war discourse is often coming from, as you guys were saying, kind of neolib, neocons to justify working together with Cheney and, you know, also, by the way, I want to shout out Bronco Marchetti. He has a great piece of Jacobin, which goes over how similar Cheney is to Donald Trump, but it is also a critique that comes from, uh, or a prediction uh, that comes from people like uh, Chris Hedges, who's neither a neocon nor a neolib. So I just think it's interesting. It's not an inherently problem. Like it's not, it doesn't inherently come from bad people the civil war
9: yeah i i i just feel like the the rhetoric uh, you know whatever it's a self-fulfilling prophecy at a certain point or maybe the people legitimately want that to happen i I don't know if it's a the smartest thing to be doing necessarily
0: i think it's going to happen though which i think
9: what's that
0: i mean i think Hedge sincerely thinks it could happen so he, his he's Yeah, no. I mean,
9: I've I've read American Fascist. I know I know where he thinks the the power centers lie, and I uh, I think I agree with him on all the factual stuff. I just think the degree to which he's concerned about that is sometimes a little creepy, a little paranoid. But uh, he's a super. I mean, he's probably my favorite journalist of all time. So yeah. I'll say that. Great, thank you. Thank you.
0: All righty, let's go to Charlie. Charlie, unmute yourself, please.
10: Yes, this is Charlie. You can hear me. Yep. Okay. Well, really quick, the last two callers, I wanted to say something. I'm just still sort of shocked that the public school curriculum in Iowa is um, is still like uh, is pushing this. Anti-Palestinian, anti-terrorist rhetoric, um, which is also just wrong. But it's like in, you know, it's 2022, and they're still they're still going up, you know, going along with that same old like uh, you know that lie. Uh-huh. Um, also, because modern terrorism, as we know it, post World War II, I think really started with you know the bombing of the King David Hotel, and also like. Israel pioneered like, uh, like, uh, state, like, uh, I think, let me see. um, yeah, m- commandeering like aircraft uh, for their own gains. Um, but anyway, so that, and then the other thing I want to say really quickly about, I guess, Bill Maher, which is a horrible show. I thought the caller was going to say that Matt Taibbi was so weak on his China. It's almost like he was sort of uh, self-censoring what he was going to say about China. Or he didn't really say anything that was different than what we'd hear in the mainstream sort of, uh, uh, you know, talking point. That surprised me. Um, Also, I'm just finding out now that Sam, uh, that guy, what's his name? Sam Harris. Yeah. I thought he was like far right because also I remember that one Bill Maher where him and Ben Affleck got into a fight about when Ben Affleck stuck up for uh, Muslims. Right. Uh, I just thought his his rhetoric was so, so far right. But I guess that's like just basic American sort of rhetoric. Anyway. He is
0: kind of, I think his shtick is being like super atheist, anti-religion slash, but really like mostly anti-Muslim.
10: It's so weird. He's like a neurosurgeon. He's not even like a political, like anything. But people really love him. It's sad. Um, But I wanted to call... Because I'm... Like every day, there's a moment in the day where I'm like, I can't believe what's happening in Afghanistan. I know you brought it up uh, in Useful Idiots last past week. Um, But I really can't believe what's happening in Afghanistan. And there's such like a weird silence. Yeah. I kind of wonder... I mean, do you think, like, what's the end game there? Is it, like, a geopolitical, like, uh, does it have to do with the whole region and China? But it's just so, I think, like, uh, it's just so unscrupulous. Uh, and every time I see Joe Biden's face and his smile, I'm like, that that dickhead, for, like, since January, at least, we have been forewarned that this is a growing humanitarian crisis. we see it play out, and it's just... I just don't know how, I don't know. I mean, what? can you say anything more about it?
4: Yeah, I don't think Afghanistan is that geopolitically strategic um, or that geopolitically important to the U.S. strategically. I think it's more just, it's vengeance. The U.S. got humiliated there. They occupied it for 20 years. Um, The U.S. could have ended that war early on. I mean, initially the U.S. won the war. Taliban were toppled pretty quickly. They were offering to negotiate. They were even offering to turn over members of Al-Qaeda uh, early on. But the Bush administration just said, no, we don't negotiate with terrorists and kept the war going. And as did Obama, too. Obama could have ended the war, but he instead signed on to the troop surge. So I think now it's just vengeance. The U.S. was humiliated when they left and they withdrew and the, the government fell so quickly. And so now you just have to punish people to send the message that you don't humiliate the godfather.
0: It's also such a scary, I mean, if the media were at all concerned by humanitarian concerns, which they claim they are with Ukraine, Mm -hmm. I mean, they'd be talking about this all the time and they never talk about it. And imagine if Trump were doing this, were presiding over like freezing of assets, while people literally freeze and go hungry.
10: It'd be like another impeachment proceeding, but...
0: Well, I don't think it would be that because they were the resistance was always so terrible at, at actually prioritizing what they would impeach him over or actually oh, like right. drag him over. But it would be something in the in the political discourse,
10: right? Like the kids in cages. It'll be like a uh, you know a hallmark of his his time. Yeah.
0: yeah.
10: But I don't know. It just seems like on a scale of like this is like a huge war crime almost. And yeah, you know, after a war had ended. You know, quote unquote. It's just like, good job, Biden. Like, you managed to, you know, get in a war crime after the war ended. Yeah. Um, yeah. All right. That's
4: pretty terrible. Yeah. All right. Thank, Thank you, you, Charlie, for the call. Okay, Jason.
3: Hello, Aaron and Katie. Hello. Hi there. Hey. Um, I've come in kind of noticing lately some, um, I guess CNN watchers. Not being happy because CNN is maybe being a little more neutral than usual, you know, criticizing Biden and everything. Uh, so they're saying you're going to leave the network.
0: Yeah, stop watching.
3: Ahead. Yeah, go wherever. I don't know MSNBC. Um, kind of reminds me of when Fox was being slightly critical of Trump and sorry Trump, and it drove a lot of viewers to I guess Newsmax and OAN. Uh, my fear is. Now that we don't have reliable sources, what are these people going to do?
0: Well, I think they told us what they're going to do. They're going to go to MSNBC, and there was actually a good tweet. I retweeted it. Um, let me see if I can find it. One second. Hold on. Um. Let's see. Where was it? Where was it? Where was it? John. Johnny Axam tweeted, um, what was it? He's, he tweets too much, so it takes me a while to find it. I mean, when I say too much, he tweets. Uh-huh. Okay, liberals want to boycott CNN because of, because there was a hashtag, boycott CNN. So we tweeted yesterday, right. liberals want to boycott CNN because of its conservative stances. They're screaming, I'm switching to MSNBC. MSNBC host, colon, Nicole Wallace, former Bush White House aide. Michael Steele, former RNC chair. Joe Scarborough, former GOP house rep. Chuck Todd, Andrew Mitchell,
3: and countless others, yeah, so geez. like <laughs> what do <are> they exactly <laughs> fleeing to? yeah, it's just uh, I mean, I don't know people want it. they it's almost like they crave being in the echo chamber, and yeah. uh that's that's a great example of what that can lead to. you know, you get so uh deep into your echo chamber and then you find yourself supporting Liz Cheney and all these uh ex. Uh, CIA spooks on MSNBC. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Well, hey, thanks uh, Thanks for your thoughts on that. Take thanks. care. Thank you. Bye.
4: Okay. Uh, your name is apparently stupid, so
0: stupid. There hey, you we're not Can you hear me? Yes. Yeah. All right, I got two quick questions, pretty much. Uh, can I get more Joy Reid? This woman is hilarious. Well, she's not Sunday morning, but maybe we can try to bring in some. Yeah, I know. MSM. like, Sunday morning's not really the best, even though it has the views. They really go all out in the weekdays because they have to swing to the motions of the daily news. My mom. She's with my mom. Oh, yeah. Joy Reed is with your mom? Sorry. Muted then. Sorry. This is, I'm I'm trying to figure out where the dog is.
4: Oh, okay. Yeah, uh Joy Reed unfortunately does not qualify for Monday morning uh so what's your next question? There's a
0: lot of days before Sunday. That is true. She very used true. to have a Sunday show that was very funny and she does it weekly now. Yeah. Uh, I have a question about reliable sources, not the show, but the concept in general in terms Uh of journalism. And my question is, are street psychotics more reliable journalists because they actually go outside and all of them are paranoid and passionate?
4: That's a good question. That's a good question. Thanks for the call. Okay, and. Hi, Anne. If you're there, hit the unmute button.
7: Can you hear me now? Yes. Hi. Yeah. Oh, great. Awesome. Um, so, um, my audio has been going in and out, so I hope it doesn't stop. Um, but, uh, I just wanted to raise the issue about the lawsuit, uh, by, uh, journalists and lawyers against the CIA Pompeo, uh, UC Global and David Morales, the CEO of UC Global. And the way in which the media has covered this, so far the New York Times has not mentioned it at all, even though uh, after the press conference last Monday it immediately appeared in The Guardian, in Reuters, in Newsweek, Computer Weekly, that bastion of wonderful (laughs) democratic uh, news. Um, And I, I wondered if you can talk about the process by which Media get their news. Do they just take headlines from the New York Times? Does TV just take headlines from the New York Times and then regurgitate it? Is there some coordinated aspect to this and a coordinated aspect to not covering particular things?
4: That's a great question. But, you know, as you know, well, the, the media has gone out of its way to ignore the Assange story. You know, even throughout all the hearings, the extradition hearings, very little coverage and very hostile towards Assange. And so, yeah, look, whoever they take their cues from, it's from people who are hostile to Julian Assange, who want to criminalize journalism. Even though outlets Like the Times have benefited from Assange's publications, they've even worked with him. But none of that matters right now, I guess. They just are so indifferent or even hostile to him.
7: But but that's weird because the, the boards of, like, the New York Times, at different times, they've really come out in support of Julian, but then day-to-day day they don't support him.
4: Yeah, I know. Because, you know, a lot of people there, I mean, they recognize that his case is an attack on the idea of journalism, but they have to balance that also with their personal contempt for Joe Assange because he represents what they don't. He actually challenges power. And... They serve it in, in many ways. So there's only so much support that they're willing to offer him.
0: Also, right. did they come out against like for him under under Biden or just under Trump?
4: Yeah, I think they did it. I think the editorial board had something about oh, okay. Assange. I think so.
7: Under Biden,
0: when Biden was president, you I saying? think
4: so. Yeah, I could be well, wrong. It-
7: yeah, I mean all all of these different organizations have come out in support of him and of course uh this this uh the indictment criminalizes the possession of classified information. Yep. which is just incredible. And I want to point out that uh, Katrina Vanenhuvel did uh retweet Marjorie Cohn's recent article in Truthout about this lawsuit which is one I mean I'm so glad that Deborah Herbeck and uh And uh, and all of those who are bringing the lawsuit that they're doing so, because it's just incredible uh, what the CIA has done to uh, destroy the Fourth Amendment rights of journalists, lawyers in this case.
4: Well, and um, absolutely. And thanks so much for bringing attention to it. Thanks for the call. Thank you. Okay, Jenny.
7: I just
11: received a text from my daughter, and she said that Fauci is resigning, which is breaking news. Okay. But the reason I called is because I want to push back on the notion that the right is just now having an awakening about the FBI. Uh, When Ron Paul ran for president back in the day, he identified the FBI as being the force that Woodrow Wilson put in place to deal with domestic questioners of World War I. So anybody who was standing up against the war, the FBI was being dispatched to deal with them back in the day. So there's nobody more right wing than Ron Paul. And then there was a true awakening during the Clinton years when the FBI killed Randy Weaver's wife in Idaho. That's a pretty famous case that the right especially was condemning. And then more recently, You've had people like Cheryl Atkinson, who's a great journalist, saying that the FBI has been all over her family, including talking about placing porn, child porn, on her husband's computer to deal with her and her journalism. So I reject the idea that the right has, you know, just not talked about it or cared about it because many of us have cared deeply
4: Okay, I guess we were talking about the sort of uh, establishment, right? Not the Ron Paul wing, which already, which always has been heterodox on when it comes to government power, uh, especially on foreign policy. But thanks for the call. Well,
11: poll- just one more thing: many yeah. of us supported Trump because of his stance on war.
4: I got was- that. I know. <clears throat> I know that's true, and um, that is true, and and it's true on the campaign trail in twenty sixteen. Trump sounded like he was anti-intervention. He talked about instead of destroying other countries, we should be spending the money to, you know, uh, build at home. And I think well, that, and
11: he also said, if we're going to fight a war, it's going to be quick. We're going to go in there. We're going to bomb the shit out of them. And then we're going to get out and go home. And that's a very different posture than the neocon posture.
4: Yeah. But the problem is he then appointed a bunch of neocons to his cabinet.
11: I know. Yeah. I know.
4: Yeah. All right. Jenny, thank you for the call. Thank you. All right, Rachel.
11: Oh,
12: hey, can you guys hear me? Yeah. Hey, yeah, Aaron, I was, um, I just wanted to mention, I was watching this quote unquote disinformation um, panel that the Estonian foreign ministry was having with NATO and the Atlantic Council and this, this guy named Ross Burley with the Center for Information Rezi- uh, Resilience. Are you familiar with that in the UK?
4: I'm not, I can't keep track of all these.
12: Well, they mentioned you. He went on a tirade about, quote, unquote, like what he said, quote, unquote, independent journalists, And he mentioned your name and was slamming YouTube and social media for hosting you and uh, for interviewing Russell Brand about Ukraine and spreading, quote, disinformation. So I just wanted to bring that to your attention. Uh, But what what was I was going to ask you, he was, he was repeating kind of the same stuff that like Paul Mason was in those, uh, in those leaked emails. So I was, tr- I was going to ask you if you knew if there was a connection between, uh, cause, cause this guy's a former UK foreign office person. And now he runs this quote unquote disinfo think tank in the UK. But I was wondering if I was going to ask you if the gray zone had found like some connection with Paul Mason and that in this think tank. So,
4: well, context. I'll have to ask. Uh, Kit Clarenberg is the journalist who did the Grey Zone stories, oh. and continues to do them about the Paul Mason emails. And this, for anyone who doesn't know, is basically this British journalist named Paul Mason. was. Uh, we got the Grey Zone. Someone sent us a bunch of his emails that were hacked. And uh, we don't know exactly by who, but whoever got them gave them to us. And he's plotting with uh, a friend of his, a colleague who works for the UK uh, state to take us down, to deplatform us, to try to get us uh, censored. and Yeah, and this
12: monetized. is what this guy specifically said on this panel. He said, you know, uh, the gray zone, which is a quote unquote propag- a Russian propaganda um, outfit, yeah. uh, we need to use the law to get rid of these uh, quote-unquote independent journalists. And then he started bragging about how the UK sanctioned Graham Phillips, and he hopes that the uh, that the right. whole EU sanctions. So I just want to bring that to your attention. Well,
4: listen, thank you. That sounds awesome. Would you mind, if you have the the link, Will you send that to me? There's a messaging function in this app. Um,
12: oh, yeah. I'll do yeah. that right now.
4: I appreciate that. And uh, yeah, look, there's a whole bunch of these... Uh, there's so many state-funded think tanks aimed at combating disinformation, which really means just spreading... Oh yeah, they're truly toxic.
12: They're toxic. Uh, I mean, I, I mean, like the ISD. I mean, I can't believe. I mean, these, 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 these organizations are just pure, just yeah, evil. The uh, (laughs)
4: funny. So, so the ISD, which is the Institute for Strategic Dialogue. It's funny how they all have like similar names. They just change a couple of words, but um, so they're the ones who put out that study calling me a leading spreader of disinformation on Syria. So I complained to them uh, recently, and I wrote them, I said, can you name one piece of disinformation I've ever spread? And they responded by changing their complaints policy. And they changed their complaints policy to now read, we only respond to complaints made in good faith. In
12: good faith, yeah. yeah. So so, I mean, just so,
4: asking, so for me asking them just to substantiate one of their claims about me, just one, uh, <laughs> is somehow an act of bad faith, which is a first for me. Anyway.
12: Yeah. And I don't understand why Twitter doesn't identify these organizations like NATO sponsored, you know, like just like Russia affiliated media. They need to put like NATO uh, Pentagon affiliated Operate, you know, outfit, <laughs> you know, so yeah, but uh, I'll send that link to you. Do I just Thank click you. on your profile and then there's like a message button?
4: Is that yeah, there's you? a message button, yeah. And okay. if you can't, if that doesn't work, then my, my email is is just aaronmatte at protonmail.com. It's on my Twitter page, you can
12: see okay. I'll do that. Thank Thanks. you. Have a good okay.
4: day. You too. All right, uh, Terry,
13: hey, can you hear me? Yes. Hi, uh, Big first of all, big fan of the Katie Halpert Show, big fan of Grey Zone. Um, so I'm kind of from a, in a rural, rural area, so I've been cutting out, so my apologies if someone already asked this, but uh, I was just wondering if I could uh, get your thoughts on the recent killing of Alexander Dugan's daughter, oh, yeah. Daria Dugan. Um, I know it just kind of happened to you, we don't really have many of the facts, but just wondering on anyone's input on that
4: i don't know that much about her or her father i know that her father is said to be really influential in russia uh but that's not what the experts i trust on russia tell me um
0: like mark Steve- ames
4: mark ames for example yeah and stephen f cohen also was talking about how do oh, interesting influence <laughs> was really inflated in the west and uh Look, I mean, uh, yeah, killing anyone is terrible, and uh, this is a civilian who was car bombed, and uh, Russia is accusing Ukrainian intelligence of being behind it. I think now, and I don't know. I, you know, I have no way to evaluate any of these allegations, but it, uh, you know, like everything, it's a, it just speaks to the importance of ending this war, or else stuff like this will keep escalating.
0: Right. Also, the headlines were just kind of disgusting. They were like gleeful. Um did I screenshot them on my laptop or if I did on my phone I can read them. But they were like, oh, uh mate like Hooten hardline ideologue. It was very they it was very the headlines were very um not objective.
13: Yeah, I, I definitely agree about that. I mean, I kind of in the same boat as Aaron. I don't really know much about Dugan myself, but from what little I have heard and seen it's uh pretty pretty uh disgusting to talk about the death of a civilian that's yeah probably more or less unrelated to what's going on in ukraine
0: she was bar in her father's car so it was probably for him wow yeah intended for him yeah
13: well yeah thank you
0: thank you Ramona, hey Ramona, un uh, unmute yourself, please. Okay, you're unmuted, so now we just you just talk.
7: Hello, Aaron, how are you? Hi. Hi,
5: I'm good.
14: Well, good. I uh, have followed both of you for quite a while. I am um, an older person. I'm 68. So um, that's why I called myself a radical boomer when I had to put in a profile. But here's my question to both of you. Um, scholars such as and journalists such as John Mersheimer and I. F. Stone have often said that government lie. How do you two filter? through what you hear and see and decide what is actually an pr- approximation of the truth.
4: I think everyone just got to use their best judgment and um, identify any evidentiary holes. So if you're not certain about something, then you just have to be aware that you don't know for sure and just try to make the best judgment you can. I don't think there's I, I wish there was some kind of formula for it, but it's just everyone's got to use their best judgment, you know, and also just develop sources that you trust and see what they're saying.
14: That's, that's a good, uh, that's a good piece of advice. Um, over time I've always tried to get at least three different sources and make sure that they aren't related and, um, you know, concomitant type, of uh, referencing each other. That's hard to do. Boy, this is exhausting <laughs> to try to sift through. And then of course, if you, uh, if you maintain a certain stance over time, which I have, no bombs for any reason, I would like my children to have food, not bombs, and my grandchildren to actually live uh, and not go to war. So, uh, But if you do that, you're called tribal, which my background is somewhat in anthropology. So to me, that's a defaming pejorative term that's being used now. Whereas, you know, civilization and progress seem to supposedly go hand in hand. I don't agree with that point of view. So when I'm called tribal, I go, exactly. uh, That's what a tribe is for, to support one another.
4: I totally agree. I totally agree. Um, Okay. And it's, you know, and it's great to find like-minded people. And that's, it's cool for me because, you know, and that's why I like being on Colin is because we get to meet like-minded people every single week and develop our own tribe. And it's a wonderful thing. It's a real blessing. It
14: it is. And when I go back to the Midwest, I I live in Washington state. When I go back to the Midwest, I sit and watch Fox news with my brother-in-law and ironically enough, he does see through a lot of their slant, and he and I had very good discussions. Um, we agree on a certain things, on certain things, uh, t- taxes and death, not. But anyway, so thank you for letting me call in. I see quite a few people in the queue, so thanks again for taking my call.
4: Thanks so much for calling, Ramona. Okay. Uh... I'm gonna to try to get to people we haven't taken yet. Charlie, I believe you've already gone. So Tyler, you are up. And then we are gonna to start to wrap this up.
15: Hey Aaron and Katie, how are you guys?
4: Hi there. We're good.
15: Uh, I'll jump right into it. Y'all are y'all are in a hurry, I can tell. Um so and I think Katie has a lot to say about this, uh, and I'm and I'm not sure if you talked about it on YouTube because I didn't catch the stream today. But the resurfacing of the Bernard, Elizabeth Warren, uh, Hillary Clinton gender debate was very triggering for me this week. And I would imagine for Katie as well. Um, My own take on this, and I'm going to tie the Dobbs decision back in in just a second. I'll, I'll go quick. My own take on this is we had these policies that we were supporting Bernie for and wanted everyone to live under because they were good universalist policies that would have helped everyone. And we acknowledged that like, because of historical oppression and systems of discrimination, they would, the universalist policies would disproportionately help traditionally disaffected and oppressed groups of people. And yet the woke argument against those policies was the one that, turned out to be most effective right the hillary clinton saying is breaking up the banks gonna right. end racism no right and then like her her army of online trolls basically deal de- demonizing our movement telling us we were toxic misogynist bros for wanting policies and making good arguments for them that would have overwhelmingly been would have benefited women a lot more than they benefited non-women right like these are these are policies that would help generations of uh, groups who have four generations lived under oppressive policies of other groups around them in society. And yet it is, it was on those, you know, identity based grounds that this camp- campaign was defeated and the policies undermined fast forward, you know, to 2022 and the Dobbs decision goes through Rose overturned and Bernie bros, such as myself, I'll admit I'm 38 and male and Caucasian, right? Like, I, okay. I, kind of fit, right? I, I fit the description. But we sit here seeing women being further oppressed under, you know, the, the, the new administration. And we're looking at it going, you know, I was told that, the, that I didn't have a place to speak on this issue. I don't really want to wade into women's issues or identity-based cultural issues because, frankly, I got burned last time and I don't wanna anymore. And, and like, it sounds bratty, but it's also like the level of toxicity and personal insult and the way that these kind of identity-based ideas were, were weaponized against, again, progressive policies that would have helped everyone. You think, you, you see something like this happens and you go, well, you know, this is what you get when you undermine those policies, right? Your, your identity-based groups actually face further oppression
0: Right. It's <laughs> only like that's a very small percentage of I understand what you're saying, but it's also like uh, the people on Twitter saying that I don't represent most women. So I get your how it's tempting to be like, na and no, poo, poo or whatever. I, that's what we told you. But I think you're a big enough person to see past that.
15: Well, I don't I don't necessarily think it's about being a big person or not. It's about like. Um, you know, the, the, the women who are, you know, a, a, you're right. It's not all women. Hashtag not all. Right. But on the other hand, it's like, these are the women who are still active in politics and vocal about this issue on Twitter. And like, am I, you know, disincentivized to make contributions to that community based on previous experiences? I think that's fair. Right. And I I was like, Katie, I thought you would have some some sympathy for this perspective, given that you're a a Bernie supporter and a progressive woman and, you know, progressive identity issues were weaponized against Bernie's policies. I thought that was... Right,
0: but I care about... Yeah, of course, I understand how insidious and disingenuous it is, but it's also... That doesn't make me care less about Dobbs. Uh, You know, I'm not going to let them, like, have claim on those issues,
15: I mean, I don't think I necessarily care less about Dobbs, but I think I've been understandably culturally and societally disincentivized from weighing in on this issue in ways that like, um, but I wanted to shout out Ramona from a second ago. I think she should start a podcast, right? The ability to, you know, to to talk about, you know, these anti-war issues with a broad swath of audience, including Fox News viewers, I think is a talent that few of us have, right? Like, those are, those are, those are my focus, right? And so when when I want to build coalition, right, and I want to reach out to traditionally underserved communities that I honestly do not belong to and will acknowledge that in fairness, you know, you, you try to do that so that not only because it's the right thing to do, but also because you want to build coalition for your anti-war causes, and you're demonized and personally insulted and suffer professional consequences in many cases, just for thinking the thoughts that you think, right. When the similar issues come up five years later, like do you think, do you not think it's understandable for a person to respond with like, you know what? I have other things to worry about given the way this went last time I walked into this conversation.
0: I mean, it's understandable. I don't think it's like, it's also like get over it. Mm, Okay. Sorry, I mean yeah, it's understandable, but it's also like, I mean, people have gone through hard, bigger hardships and like more. I'm, I assume, like harder things than than being, you know, smeared.
15: So I guess, I guess my point is that just on a broader cultural level, wokeism is actually a divisive force that undermines political coalition sure. building and works against to progressive yeah. policy implementation. And I think we need to remember that going forward. Yeah,
0: I think that's true. But I think, like as an individual, you can also not fall into the trap of getting of like abandoning certain uh, movements or, or elements. But I agree that yeah,
4: anything anything can be exploited for harm. Anything can, and but that doesn't mean the underlying em- enterprise of trying to uh, defend everybody's rights, especially the most marginalized, is something wrong with that. You know, it just you have to watch out for how things are exploited and manipulated. And unfortunately, it's, you know, on the left, it's it's difficult because things are very divisive. And, um, you know, I personally try to stay out of issues that I have no kind of business in or stake in. Like, and um, the whole whole debate around trans women, for example, you know, I'm not a woman. I I have no stake in that. So it's none of my business. And I think that's for women to decide, you
6: know?
15: Aaron, I'd agree with that. I try to stay out of issues that I don't have a dog in that fight. On the other hand, you know, where I started this perspective was, you know, these, these issues, these identity-based issues were weaponized against people who were implementing progressive policies that were going to help everyone. People in those traditionally oppressed identities overly represented in that, in that helping. I
0: just wish, I just wish Hillary would go to therapy instead of reliving her trauma um, and projecting her loss onto uh, a, a phantom sexism on the part of Bernie Sanders. <laughs> I lost so much respect for Elizabeth Warren, honestly, for what I think was a lie about what Bernie Sanders said.
4: That was terrible. That <laughs> yeah. was just terrible.
15: No the, after, after after all this back and forth, me and Katie found a lot of common ground. At the end. There yeah, we I'll, go. I'll leave you guys there. Thanks, all. Okay, thank you. Bye-bye.
0: Bye.
4: Okay, last caller will be Sean.
0: Hi, Sean. Are you there? Uh, we lost him. Oh, okay. All right, let's take Eric. Eric, you're in luck. Today's your lucky day, Eric.
2: Happy Monday. Can you hear me? Yes, hi. (laughs) All right, great, great, great to have both of you. Um, yeah, so I was wondering um, if, uh, uh, well, first of all, I just wanted to say this whole thing of calling um, uh, Dugin, um, uh Putin's Rasputin. I mean, is can yeah. you people are so lazy, aren't they? Just lazy yeah. with their thinking. Yes, I, it's just so it's just so overdetermined. I don't think Dugan is like has you know, Putin's child and he's trying to cure him of hemophilia. But anyways, it's all just uh, so overdetermined. Well, why don't I uh, ask you a question about um, uh, what do you think is what do you think is next for um, uh, Brian Stelter? What would you what would you recommend for him to do next? And that's just a fun one to close on.
4: I think he'll go to MSNBC. I think he's a natural fit for them. He's exactly in line with their whole thing about you know singularly focusing on Trump as the embodiment of evil and justifying pretty much everybody else's or most other most other people's, uh, including their own side. So I think uh, he'd be a great fit for them. And look, he know he look before. See, as much as we mock Brian Stelter and have a laugh, like before he hosted Reliable Sources, he founded a website called TV Newser on his own. He did that as a college kid out of his dorm room, which was successful covering the TV news industry. And then he was a media reporter for the New York Times. And um, he obviously loves media uh, and loves covering it. So I'm sure he'll continue to do that. And I'm sure he'll find some place to do it.
0: One other thing I wanted to say quickly is that we, you know, he did not on his show on CNN feature any Russiagate skeptic voices, but he did have Taibbi on his podcast. When? Uh... Like two years ago or something? No way. Or three years ago? Yeah,
4: it was really? when
0: yeah it was when uh, Useful Idiots had started. Yeah, either we were already on or we were just about to go on.
4: Uh, I'm I'm shocked. I'm shocked by that. Yeah, I'm shocked by that.
0: Yeah, I remember it. They disagreed, but he did have him on his pod. Yeah.
4: Okay. Well, hey, uh, credit to him then.
0: Yeah.
2: Do you ever reach out to him and just, I don't know, why not
4: see if he wants to talk?
0: Yeah, we should. Uh,
4: I somehow doubt it. I mean, I, especially, uh, I might have killed our chances for that because of how many, during Russiagate, I was very probably
5: uh, the tuperative
4: <laughs> on, on Twitter what towards him. You were what? Know, I, I'm sure I was just very, I was, I'm sure I wasn't the most um, uh, polite on Twitter. I, I, I'm sure I made fun of him on Twitter during Russiagate especially, when he would not acknowledge the existence of anybody on the left who was skeptical of that whole thing and and would ignore all the multiple humiliations and even would justify the humiliations. Like one time during Russiagate, I'll never forget this, he brought on David Frum, okay? Best known for uh, creating the Axis of Evil line for George W. Bush. And he brought on David Frum to explain why, in fact, the media getting some huge RussiaGate story wrong was an example of why we should trust the media, because the media holds itself accountable and corrects its mistake. And it was some crazy dumb error. I, I forgot what it was, but um, it was it was like it, basically David Frum's argument was because the media gets stuff so wrong, but then corrects it. That's an example of why you should continue to trust the media on RussiaGate. I just thought that was so funny, especially coming from Brian Stelter, who was a you know paid propagandist for. George W. Bush.
0: You mean uh, David Frum?
4: David Frum, yeah. Yeah, sorry. What did also, I say?
0: Also, you know, something we didn't talk about, but he kept saying how it's on us, on view, you, know, on you, viewers or the people, to hold the media accountable. He didn't explain how that was supposed to happen, like what, by what mechanism?
4: I think uh, he means uh, write to CNN or another network and ask them to hire back Brian Stelter. Oh,
0: the... Yeah.
4: yeah, that's my guess. Anyway, look, best on sincerely, best of luck to him. He obviously loves what he's doing, and he's uh, he he's worked very hard at what he does. And so yeah. we, uh, I'm sure, he'll be on to bigger and uh, and brighter things.
0: Yeah, anything besides CNN is that so?
4: Yeah. All right, everybody. Well, that's going to do it.
0: That's going to do it. And guys, make sure you listen to our, oh, you know, our subscribe to Useful Idiots on. YouTube, uh, wherever you listen to your podcasts, we got a great interview with Amalia um, Chitella. I'm going to be having him on my show this week, also, to go deeper into some of the issues we talk about. Um, yeah, especially people complaining about wanting more activism on the show. We literally gave that to you this week. So, all right. Sorry if that was a little petty.
14: Um,
4: <laughs> no, it's, it's fair enough. We, uh, you know, hey
0: more activism. Have you seen our recent episode about an activist? Nope. Didn't catch that. Well, <laughs> All,
4: right. All right. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in. Thanks. We'll see you next week.
0: See you next week.